This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. This is Talking Flutes, and today my very special guest needs no introduction. She's been a tour de force in the flute world for over 60 years and still possesses endless energy and enthusiasm for all things fluty. A very warm welcome to the inspirational Atara Bentoven. Hi, thank you very much. That's a nice introduction. 60 years seems an awful long time to be obsessed with the flute. In fact, it's 68 years. I've been utterly obsessed. It's the main thing in my life. My house is full of flute players, 1,300 figures. Every room is devoted. I've got so much music, I don't know what to do. And fluting has always been my life. That's wonderful. And what I'm looking at you now and in your lovely house in France, and I can see flute players behind you. Um, I remember I did visit you back in 1993 when Joe was one year old. Rolf and I came to visit you in your lovely house and I couldn't believe the amount of flute players within your house. It's, I know it's awful, really. I've stopped collecting now. I mean, a lot of it's just junk, but nothing's worth very much. But it's amazing what you can find in all different countries. There's just an amazing amount, whether it's going to be animals or angels or I've got a few, a few works of art, the only ones I've commissioned. But that I haven't done much for 10 years now. I've got enough now. My husband can't stand anymore. He said five rooms in the house devoted to the flute is more than enough, he says. <laughs> uh, do you keep having to add on to the house then for your flute collection? Well, we did at the beginning. We've stopped it now. He doesn't like building anymore. We built, I mean, it was a cheap French farmhouse. It cost about 7,000 quid. And we just, just started doing it up and we just put another room. We did it ourselves, put another room here, another room there got somewhere to teach into because he's a writer so he needs his own privacy he has three rooms for him he's got 29 books out actually he's got a new book coming out about plagues he's just finished his book on plagues and pandemics but he's got 29 books out so he needs lots of space for himself wow i didn't realize it were 29 books wonderful That's far too many yes plantagenet <laughs> russia First World War, Second World War. He's very wide ranging. Douglas Boyd, actually, that's my married name. I'm Atara Boyd. Not that I ever use it. I like better of him. It's a nice name. <laughs> it's certainly so. I think Atara might be good for our listeners to for you to tell us sort of where it all began. Well, I think I was lucky. In those days in Britain, we had some very imaginative school. We had peripatetics. We had good schools with good music. And in the school I went to. We all had to go and do three months metalwork, three months pottery and three months woodwork. I was terrible. I'm almost dyspraxic. I mean, in the old days, you say cack-handed, but now we call it dyspraxic. I couldn't do any of those, but I managed to make a recorder. And we all just tried the recorder. The music teacher came along and said, hey, you're good at the recorder. Do you want to try the flute? And I said, well, why not? And she turned up next day with a rudel cart wooden flute for me to try I picked it up and six weeks later, I played the Telemann Suite. It was as though it was in my genes. I'm a great believer that a lot of 
finger patterns are in the genes, you know. Very often I've taught people and I say, I'm sure your grandfather or father played. Perhaps my grandfather was a klezmer player somewhere in the, God knows where, in Russia or one of those countries. But I certainly never really had to learn once I started. And then my, my first real teacher was the pupil of Jeffrey Gilbert's, oddly enough. Uh, school, we just had ordinary lessons at school. I didn't like her vibrato. <laughs> So I put myself in for the Royal Academy because I really wanted to have a different approach. I was very, I suppose, arrogant, let's be honest. I could do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it well. So when I was at school, I put myself in for the Academy. And there was a woman called Mary Donington. It's a lot of people, I think, might remember her. A great woman. And never forget playing the Handel F major sonata. And she started much too fast. I stopped and said, excuse me, I really don't like your tempo. She said, I was just testing your personality. <laughs> so I went to the Junior Academy. And then life, when we lived in London at that stage, life took its own course. You were in the school orchestra, then the local youth orchestra, then you've got gigs for Gilbert and Sullivan, then you've got gigs for choral gigs, and then you've got in the National Youth Orchestra. And life went on in a logical way, I think. I was quite just lucky because there weren't many women or girls around at that time. In fact, when I got in the National Youth Orchestra, they put me in the boys' dormitory. Atara Benton, they didn't know what sex it was. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. I think in a way, it was there's a logical progression. If you're lucky, it depends where you live, what your teacher is, how ambitious you are. And I just had a very logical progression. My family were uh, doctors and my brothers are doctors. Nobody really pushed the music. It was just there and the school was good. I had my own string quartet at school. Imagine that, Mozart quartets. I had a pianist did the chaminade with me. So I think it's luck what makes a player. The right time, the right teacher, the right flute. I'm a, I was a, a wooden flute fanatic. And all of those kind of, you build up your credentials and it's luck. I mean, when I was in the National Youth Orchestra, tragically, the two flute players who were my second and third, Sebastian Bell and David Nicholson, are both dead. I mean, they were lovely men and lovely players. I mean, great people. Sebastian and I were friends for years. I always admired David in Scotland, but they were unlucky. I mean, I, I was lucky I was principal flute and... I think if you're principal flute in the youth orchestra, there is a road that you can follow, but it's luck. Is there a place? Is there a job? I mean, I was very lucky, really, in that. Would you like to know my how I got a job as a woman? Yes, I'm sure you would, wouldn't you? Because there weren't any then. There was, was it Dwight in uh, Boston? She was, yeah. what kind of her surname? She just died, hasn't she, at 100? Yeah. Uh, there wasn't any other women around as principal flutes having jobs. So uh, when I was a student at the academy, which I detested, by the way, I just learned from Gareth Morris, and it was a scale of F major for two years. And so I taught four days a week, which was much more fun. But then uh, there hadn't been any women as principals, and I, it was very tricky. I, my family say I used to cry every night and say, I'll never get a job, but I have to play in an orchestra. I just wanted to play, oddly enough, I wanted to play Mozart piano concertos. The flute parts of Mozart piano concertos were always, and the A major, isn't it sublime? I mean, there's nothing like it for the flute, some of the orchestral parts. That's what I really wanted to do. And I wanted to play the flute solo in Das Lied von der Erde. I, and I wanted to play Brig Fair. There were solos in my head, the yeah. Matthew Passion, from the age of about 15. 
I used to go to bed with scores and I used to use the Wilfred Smith. Do you remember the Wilfred Smith orchestral books? Of course I do. Yes. Every bar, every bar, every note. Remember the Oxford, the Haydn? They were all part of my, of my breathing, really. So when I finished at the academy, I was lucky enough to get a, a three months, I only wanted three months scholarship to go to Paris. I didn't like my approach really to French music. Having learned from Gareth Morris and the English school, I'm a fanatic about English music, as you'll see in the next pan. But because I, I just felt I wasn't good at French music. I think having lived in France, it's something to do with the mouth, really. I've got a, I think the French with their two and their you know, they're beautiful embouchures. They can play French music. I felt my whole approach on, on the wooden flute just wasn't really right for French music. So I got a scholarship to Carrage in Paris because I thought that would help souffle sound, you know. And when, and I got married as well, ridiculous at 21, but we did in those days, didn't we, Claire? We got married young, I seem to remember. Not me, yeah. but yes, you, yes. <laughs> okay, I was married um, and I thought, God, I'll never get a job. And then I did an audition for, wait a minute. First of all, I did an audition for the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra on piccolo, because I love playing the piccolo still. I'm a piccolo fanatic. It's wonderful, isn't it, what people do now with the piccolo. And I did the audition and I found it a real cinch. And at the end, Rignell said, well, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you the job. And I said, why not? I'm really good, <laughs> seated <laughs> as ever. He said, yeah, but you haven't got the right temperament to be a piccolo player. You won't sit there patiently waiting for your moment solo and you drive the first flute mad. So there we are. That's the truth, actually. So uh, the I've got a call to go and do an audition, a second flute for Sadler's Wells. So I was married. I came back from Paris, did an audition. And they offered me second flute. And I thought, I'm just not a second flute. I'm far too, I'm really a trumpet player between you and me, but I play the flute. I mean, I've got, I used to have the energy of a trumpet player. And, uh, but I thought, well, no, I'm not taking second flute. I can't, I'm just no good as a second. So I turned it down. People thought I was mad. How can you turn down a job? You're a woman. Elma Cole, I think was first flute then. And I thought, no, I, I can't be a second. That's just my temperament. And then I was just finishing my stint in, uh, in uh, where was I then, in Paris. And we, I went with my husband. We thought we'd have a little holiday on the beach, first of all. So we went for a little holiday on the way back. And I got a telegram offering me first flute at the Wells because mm -hmm. Jimmy wanted to leave the Wells to go to Cotton Garden. Yeah. So and, that, and I took it because that's what I wanted to do. Now, Jimmy and I had been together, oh, a lot as children, because when he was, I think, 16, and I was about the same age, he's a year older than me, we were both knocking around London, if you know what I mean. We did a bit of amateur orchestras together. Oh, he was marvellous on the piccolo. I'll never forget to this day, we all sat in the back of a minivan going somewhere. He took his piccolo out and played the Chike Fall solo, piccolo solo, like you have never heard. He was phenomenal on the pick and I thought, oh my God, that's, I could never manage that. But he was Jimmy, you know, he was nobody like him really, let's be honest. So I did three months in the Wells, nightmare, nightmare. First day I was 21, Carmen, Colin Davis. I had never played Carmen. Of course I knew some of the solos, but, and Colin, hope he's, uh, nobody's listening and knows him, had decided this was the day he was going to conduct with one hand. 
he uh-huh. got a bit bored, you know. So uh, he didn't bring me in ever, hardly ever. He didn't look at me. I thought, oh, my God, you know, it's, you know what the part is like. It's pretty hellish, isn't it? I do. Everything was fine. Okay. You know, of course, we've all done it. Everything was fine until... That comes in after two bars rest, and he brought me in after one bar. Oh. <laughs> that was my most embarrassing moments of my career, right? I mean, coming in early in that bohemian dance. So I did three months in the Wells. So you can see it's a kind of progression in life, but already there were very few women around. And then I thought after Jimmy wanted to come back to the Wells, because he, do you remember any of this? I think you're, you're much too young to remember all of this. I'm just slightly too young to know about that, yes. Yeah. So this is some of the sort of gossip that was going around. So Jimmy wanted to go back. I don't think he really was a bit, he wasn't that right in the, uh, he wanted to go back uh, to the Wells. He'd done Covent Garden, I think. So uh, that was it for me. And I thought, Oh, God, I'll never get a job. So now, what do you think I did next? I started my own school of music. <laughs> I went to the local school. I was married. I went to the local school in Isleworth. Funny, I don't even remember this much. Gave them some little, said, I'll teach French at your school if you let me have the school one night a week. And I'll teach music. I'll teach piano and flutes and singing and recorder and saxophone. And I called it the Tara School of Music. <laughs> so I did three weeks, I think, and got about four pupils. And then I was on the train coming back from somewhere or other. You know, life is so odd, isn't it, really? I can't remember. And sitting next to me was a cellist, my cellist from school, or I hadn't seen for five years. And she was a professional cellist then and said, did you know there's the job in Liverpool coming up? I said, oh, no, I hadn't noticed that. Fritz Spiegel has uh, been removed. Do you know why, by the way? Good story. This is a good story for any flute players listening. Fritz was, if any of you heard of him, you might have seen some of his television or radio programs, an extraordinary man. Very rather quiet flute player, but any other gigs he'd always take, whether it was going to introduce something or do a radio program. So one day he said he was ill and did uh, uh, was couldn't turn up for the concert and was on television playing. So that yeah, so he got the sack. I think they were waiting. He was bored actually. So when uh, Fritz was a very quiet, gentle player, so I asked around. I think if you want a job, you've got to use your intelligence a bit. So I asked around what kind of player was Fritz, what were they? And I sort of done personal research and I went up for my audition in Liverpool. I was married then and uh, it was Sir Charles Groves, a wonderful guy and all the principals uh, were there. First of all, I was a woman, you know, that was pretty rare in those days. And secondly, I think I was about six to five stone heavier than I am now, appallingly dressed full of unbelievable physical energy, you see. That, I mean, that was me. I can't believe it to this day. I mean, I'm sure I'd have, I had a choice at one stage of joining the Israeli army or becoming a discus thrower. I mean, I had that kind of physical punch, really. I think I still have, really. And uh, we had, uh, you know, when you prepare for an audition, it's very, very important. You have to think about it very carefully, and I always teach my students to think out of the box what you want to do. And I thought out of the box, I thought I'm not gonna be conventional. And I did the last movement of the E major Bach Sonata. And I came in as loud as I could, you know, E, D sharp, D. And I put my whole body into it, you see. And then I did the Hindemith Achstuck, because I think an unaccompanied piece that people don't do very often is a very good idea, has a huge contrast. 
And it was, a, it was an intelligence use of uh, what I could do for an audition. So I thought about it carefully. And then you come to this ghastly orchestral extracts, which is still the same, really. I have taught a great deal of orchestral extracts and I don't teach it like anybody else. I don't consider the, the, uh, all the, the Lapre Midi and the major Daphnis are actually only the test of a flute player. So I've prepared everything from the Harold Clark book, books. So they gave the usual, you know, Lapre Midi, uh, Leonora number three, you know, all the usual basics. And yep. then they said, and they were all fine because I've been practicing them since I was 16. But Jimmy, I don't know if he's listening, but Jimmy was doing the same audition. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There were, I think, about thir- not a lot in those days, 36 of us, I seem to have several principal flutes there, but Jimmy was there too. So I'm sure his pieces and extracts were better than mine. At any rate, you did all of that. And then they came on the the testing moment because a provincial orchestra is a sight reading orchestra because in those days we had three three programs a week six days concerts one of which was often one day traveling a huge variety of repertoire you really had to sight read you'd have a three-hour rehearsal sometimes and a concert you're not like here in France where they might have five days so then they put on the uh music stand I can still see it Matthias de Mahler you know the flute solo from that, oh. the Demi Semplewavers? It had just come out. It had just been written, if you look. It was 1962, and I think it was written in 61. I hadn't seen it. It's in one or two tutor books now, but it wasn't then. They put that on the music stand, and it was as though, I don't know if you've had the same, Claire, there's always a moment in life when it clicks. Yeah. There's something, whether it's love or whether it's music or whether when you teach, something happens. And I'd always been obsessed with sight reading. I used to read all the Mozart uh, fiddle concertos. I, I still do. I read the cello concertos. I read bassoon concertos. I would turn music. This is my secret advice, by the way, any flute players listening. I would turn music upside down because there's no sequences if you turn it upside down. So you can't read sequences. So I'd always been obsessed with sight readings. I can sight read anything actually I'm sorry to sound conceited but I could because I just worked on it I turned studies upside down there was and I could look at the page almost visualize it and play it so when they put this Matthias de Mahler it was like the heavens had opened because I could play it it was it's demi semi quavers flats and everything and it just went perfectly well Jimmy with his eyes could not do that there's no question you remember he's got his eyesight was not up to mine and it's, it was in the original manuscript, very difficult to read in those days. You know, you remember those original manuscripts, Claire? Oh, my God, don't we just. So I did that and it went perfectly. OK, so I went home and thought, well, I don't know, it went pretty well. OK, and then they said to me at the end, uh, what about your husband? Uh, what does he do? I thought, oh, this is a good sign. <laughs> I said, he's a civil engineer, just bees at the moment. And they said, oh, we could always help him get a job. I thought, oh, my God, Ooh. you know. That's a change, you see. I haven't finished the story yet, though. So I went back where we were. They phoned me that night and said, well, we're going to offer you the job, but were you really sight reading? (laughs) And I said, well, I can't, because then it's been printed. Of course I was sight reading. They said, OK, we're going to offer you the job on a trial. OK, now, OK, so that's the first stage over. And we all know what that's like. Don't be clear? Oh, my God. Yes. So I went... uh, about a month later, uh, for a trial, that went fine. I don't remember much about it except it was uh, 
basic classical program. That was what year are we talking about? What year? 1963. So, 1963. Year of the Beatles, the Cavern, oh, Liverpool. Absolutely. It was, oh, it God, was, it yeah. It was crazy, wasn't it, Liverpool? Oh, it was fabulous. I, I go to that net. It was fabulous, fabulous beyond words, Liverpool at that time. So uh, I did an ordinary trial. I did, and they were fine. They said, well, we're, we're going to offer you the job. I haven't finished the story yet. Okay. The orchestra then, all the principals went, had, a, had a meeting and complained, the principal wind, saying she's much too loud. Did you hear that? She's much too loud, much too overbearing as a player. She doesn't use vibrato. She blends very well with the clarinets. We don't like her, H-E-R. Got it? Oh. oh. Right. They did not want a woman. There were nine, and the trumpet player was there too. They were all men, and they did not want a woman there. There's no question, whatever they say about it. So, but Sir Charles Grove said, well, I'm sorry, this is what the orchestra needs, someone with energy, dynamism, who also very clever. He said, in a funny way, because I was married, I could be more committed to the orchestra. He did say somebody like Galway won't stay. He said, we need regularity in a provincial orchestra. It was very different then. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do three days, four days a week, you didn't want people coming in. You had to have a regular team. Unfortunately, the bassoons were always deaf, so it wasn't as easy as that. So he insisted I had the job. And then I was very lucky. Just after that, we had an amazing concert. Actually, it was the best concert of my life, really. We had Pierre Monteux. We had every flute player's dream. Lapre Midi, twice as slow as you've ever done it in your life. In, I always do it in one breath. I spent my life practicing it in one breath. Daphnis and Chloe and Brahms 4. Would you believe it? Wow. In program. Wonderful. Well, that was so wonderful. On my wooden flute, don't forget. And he gave me a big pat bow at the end. And then after that, really, I think I must have played pretty well. But I'm going to tell you all a funny story that is so embarrassing. And this is an absolute true story. Yeah, so this was the concert of my life. What I didn't know for the big concerts, not the provincial concerts, but the big concerts in Liverpool, you had to wear long black. To quote my husband, we looked like uh, mistresses of <laughs> Bordell. But, and I didn't have long black because of the garden on the, and any gigs that I was done short. So I had to borrow one from the viola player. It was rather tight. So I borrowed a long skirt and I had a top. It was a bit tight. They brought me to the front to take a bow. And you can guess what happened. <laughs> skirt split oh my god the orchestra went hysterics i took a bow and that is a true story my moment that taught me a fact my my moment of faith it did me made me very humble afterwards oh. <laughs> and then life just goes on you know it's the, the provinces were a wonderful life liverpool we had blue coat we had culture we had the beginning of the everman the theater and the marvellous thing about a principal in those days was you did all the concertos. So you did the Ebert, the Nielsen, the Frank Martin. You did that. I mean, you did things that you've never done. I'm, I'm sure you haven't done the Scheiber, Pastoral and Burlesque. Nobody's done it. And we did the Frank Martin. I mean, you had this opportunity. I did all the concertos. I mean, the Nielsen was amazing because we had a great bass trombone player. And you did all the, and those are the days in 63, the BBC had music at night. Once a month from the north, we did, a, we did a recital automatically, so I covered all the repertoire. I think the nicest thing I ever played was the Bloch Suite Modal that nobody knows much. And then we also did all the chamber music with the string quartets and string quintets. So it was an amazing 12 years. I mean, it was just miraculous. It sounds idyllic. Like, 
Well, it was idyllic, except my husband had decided to give up civil engineering and become a barrister. So he didn't earn anything. So I went and taught one day a week at Huddersfield Polytechnic, which I loved because the students were so... They were so normal. I'm, I'm no good with music students because I, I, I feel anguish for them because I know how hard it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But at Huddersfield, a lot of them became teachers or administrators or composers or things like that. I love teaching. I taught at Huddersfield and taught privately and, and just had a wonderful 12 years until I changed my direction. Were you the first female flute, principal flute player in the UK? Really, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, well, Pat, Pat Linden, wasn't she, was at the garden Linden. as well. Pat Linden as the garden. I, yes, so that was different. I think I was the only other player I've really found who did those years was, why can't I remember the name? Dwight, what's her name? The amazing American woman. Dyer. Yeah. Because at the beginning, they didn't know. She was there earlier than me. But I'd always been inspired by somebody most people don't know, Elaine Schaefer. And yeah. she was my heroine. She died very young of can- uh, breast cancer, didn't she? Very yeah. young. Very young. Uh, she was married to Rudolf Schwartz, uh, conductor. And I mean, she was just my inspiration. She'd done it, but I'm, I'm not a soloist, Claire. And, and I've heard you over your life, and I think you're a good soloist. That's, I, oh, I heard you play in, the, uh, in Ireland. I don't know how young you were then, but I thought that's a soloist. I think you're a soloist by nature, but oddly enough, I'm not. I'm not a good chamber music player either. I'm just an orchestral player. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm extrovert, but that's not the same as being super confident. So I, I just, it doesn't, also the repertoire didn't turn me on really. Mm. I'm sorry to say that. I, I just, I mean, if I was a clarinet player and could have played the clarinet concerto, that might have been different, <laughs> which is such a great work. I, I'm just not a natural soloist, which is why in a way I, I was, I had to go somewhere else at the end of my 12 years in the orchestra. I knew there was something else waiting because I am over the top and unbearable. But you know, I wanted to be a conductor, Claire, really. That's always been my ambition, always was. And I, when I went to the academy, the second year academy, we were allowed to choose a second study. I didn't like my piano teacher rubbing my knee, so I wanted to give that up. I won't go into that, but we all remember those days. And I did an audition to be a conductor and we had to conduct the Brahms Haydn variations. Difficult piece to conduct with all. And we had the full orchestra, Myers Foggin, I think it was, conducted the uh, orchestra. He was the in charge. And I did conducted all of that Brahms Haydn. And they said to me afterwards, well, I think you probably could be a conductor, but you're a woman. We don't take women. And I think really something in me was always looking for something else. And now my great joy is running massive flute choirs with only orchestral music, like uh, if we did Delius, for example, I, I love the, uh, Carla does a fabulous uh, arrangement of Delius's, uh, you know, she does several Delius's thing and Sanson symphonies. Conducting a big flute choir of orchestral music is really my passion now. Well, when we get out of COVID <laughs> one day again. This is the next stage so, of your career then, conducting. Who knows where it'll take you? Oh, well, I would have done if I was 30 years younger. But at this stage of life, you just take what comes to you and make the most of it, really. I mean, I still love teaching and I run flute choirs. But for me, the orchestra was was miraculous for the music. You know, it sounds an awful thing to say in a way, but if you're a soloist, in a way, you please yourself. 
but if you're in an and when you play in an orchestra in a way you're pleasing yourself you get a lot of satisfaction from all of this but if you look back on your life Claire and I think you might be a bit the same some of the teaching I've done the children's lives I've helped the people who got music scholarships the sanity I've helped produce that's probably more important in a whole lifetime you know if you look back on your life yeah. I just I think I felt that when I was, must have been 32, no, 34, when I suddenly felt that I have to be able, I know it sounds a bit romantic, but I have to be able to give something somewhere other than loving playing. Mm. And then I went into children's concerts, which is really another whole aspect of my life, really. So I had 12 years, I started the flute at almost 12, played night and day until I was for 20 years, did it all, did everything, played everything you could ever want to play, whether it was the Matthew Passion with Benjamin Britten, you know, some of these great musical, Barbara Ollie, oh my God. Barbara Ollie was amazing. Oh my God. Uh, slow movement of the Marla Five, the whole orchestra burst into tears. You know, it was just amazing. You know, you look back, Jackie Dupre, the Elgar Cello Concerto, you know, you, I'm sure you look back on all of those as the most, just unbelievable experiences, really. Magical, magical experiences. How wonderful to have those. Oh, I'm so lucky. And I, you try to pass it on, but things are, there's not many young people really who want to play classical music as much as is there. Do you find that, Claire? Yeah, there's not the same intensity or enthusiasm, maybe. No, there's there is nothing else going on. I think the flute is a problem if we've got time to talk about it, perhaps another time. I think the essence, and I realise that because my, I, I teach clarinet and sax as well. I think having taught the clarinet to my granddaughter, who's a very fine player, was, taught me a great deal, is that we don't have that middle repertoire sufficiently. If you have to learn the Weber, if you learn the Weber clarinet concerto, it takes so long to learn it, the cadenzas, every bar of it, that you produce a basic solid technique. We haven't got that. I've suddenly realized, I'm just doing some lots of different bits of looking at all my music, that it's, it's only the studies of the middle period, like the Curler and the Garibaldi and the Andersons, that yeah. actually have the music in them. Do you agree, Claire? I, I agree. And, and on another occasion, we need to talk about maybe studies and what the, our study repertoire, which is, which is immense. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm just finishing something. Well, I'm halfway through for Pan. I've done the. I'm, I've just done uh, English pieces one should know, and I've just done English studies we should know. And I'm going to go and do pieces and repertoire because I'm. I've got a hundred. I've counted 105 English pieces I like. What's the first four? Give me quick, Claire. Four English pieces immediately that you like to play on um, the flute. Yeah. Or Irish. Or could have Irish or British. Or Irish. Okay. Well, okay. So Hamilton Hearty, who I have to say lived in Hove just around the corner from me. I know. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. English. And, you know, I used to do a whole English program. So you've I know. That's why I it. mentioned it. John Stanley Sonatas. Oh, interesting. Yes, never thought of that. Good. I yeah, nice. I like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vaughan Williams. What? I can't remember the piece, but there used to be a sweet. Uh, the there's Williams. a ballet, sweet the ballet, which was also yeah. done orchestrated. Well, yes, interesting. It's got a nice open first movement. Gareth does yeah. record that oh, somewhere. Got a lot. I know, but I've done it with everybody. I've tried it with 20 principals and 20 players. I'm horrified. They only know three or four. Whereas if you ask me, I picked 100. I did 104 in half an hour because it's always been my passion. I mean, it's amazing. And some of the British studies are amazing now, Claire. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, there's a lot of open, like Andy's got those nice duets with you. There's a lot of good stuff coming out there yeah. now. And getting children enthusiastic about all oh, things. Oh, I know. Ugh, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But we do it. And it's been very hard this year without exams. I, I personally am very exam orientated with young children. And without it, it's been very difficult, the motivation. But we carry on, don't we, Claire? We carry on and we smile. And, uh, really. Yeah, because that's what, we, that's what we do. And it gives us joy over over the years and it certainly has for you and and i mean your enthusiasm is wonderful i must tell you a story that you were we've got two links we've got links because you were at the royal academy where i taught for many years and also you and taught at the royal northern when i was a student and i no. remember i remember when you you'd first started and you remember they had a, a, there was a um uh, the top corridor there, it was a quad and I remember coming round a corner and you just swept around the top corner and you were, I, I mentioned that you were a tour de force. I mean, you swept down those corridors at speed. Everything you did was very fast. And it was quite, it was quite almost intimidating. And I really regret not coming and so, rooting you out and, and asking about, about music, about flute at that time. I think it was a... Um, a, a big mistake and um, a lot of us missed out. We didn't use your experience. Yes, and I don't know who's listening, but I think one of, the, and I'm going to say this because I feel it quite strongly. I think if I was a man, my life would have been different. I will never forget to this day, one of the BFS conventions. And there was, I was going to do a flute and, and words, which is quite rare, poetry, bits and pieces. And Wib, Adrian, Trevor, I think even Jimmy walked past me and I said, hey, aren't you going to come and listen to me? I listen to you. And they said, oh, no. And I thought that is typical, actually. I've listened to all of these people. I've been polite. I've always said, I don't think anybody's ever been. Oh, I've just, yes, we recently just said to me, oh, you look very pretty on the cover of Pan. You know? I thought, thank you, Wib, after all these years. But I think, and with you too, Claire, if we'd been a man, life would have been very different for me, really. <laughs> I think if I'd have been a man, you would have come up to me. I think in a funny way, there was something about being a woman. You're, um, you're not inferior, but we were, and we still are. We work at it really hard, and we have over the years. But there is no point pretending. My life would have been different. As, a, as I'm glad. It's been much better. I'd never gone into kids' concerts, which were miraculous. Mm -hmm. But I think as a, it would have been different. I remember trying for the LSO when I was about 25, when both Peter and Wib, I think, left. And they, they didn't even listen to me because I was a woman. They didn't take women in those days. And I would have been right for that at that. Thank goodness I didn't. But I, I think you've got to be honest about this. But again, that's the way it was. It isn't like that now, is it? My God. I mean, no, it's changed. It has it's changed. changed beyond, it's changed beyond belief now. But I, and I think one of the things about being a woman that I do, like you, lots of competitions, I, I have a worry about women's wrists. I think you've got to be very strong to play for a lifetime. Physically, and I am very strong. I mean, I could, whenever I have anything wrong and I see a specialist, I say, my God, what do you do for a living? Your internal muscles are like a professional athlete. I say, yes, a professional flute player is a professional athlete. I and, I, and I think what worries me looking at some of these young girls who get jobs earlier and are moving around and swaying around and their wrists look uncomfortable I just think as a lifetime, you've got to be very careful as a woman. It's a very hard profession. You don't think it is physically, but it is. We lose, you know, we lose one third of the air when we blow. And that's a lot of air to lose. It's physically harder than a trumpet player. 
And I think my luck about life is I've just been like a professional athlete, really. It's luck, isn't it? Yeah. That's the way you're built. But I think nobody takes this into consideration. So there we are. We've hit on lots of these things. We don't normally talk about it. But it, yeah. it's a fact. I mean, Jimmy never hasn't spoken to me for years and he's been to visit me. I'm sure he considers me uh, somebody not to think about. But I did beat him when I was 22. Something worth mentioning. You know, it's important. Not many other people could, could say that, could they, Claire, in their lives? No. No, it was a rich, it was a rich time that, that those, yeah. those times when you're in your early 20s with oh, everyone God, that was yeah. around. I mean, it was, there was incredible music making going on. There were 11 people who became principal flutes when I was at the academy, whether it was David Haslam in, uh, if you remember, David was in, where was he? Newcastle, Alan Lockwood, who was in Scotland. There were people all over the place, yeah. piccolo players, my, you know, who came. People after that was, was because they'd stopped national service or something. I don't. Lots of them had been in the forces and came later or something when I was at the academy. It was a very odd time. I'll just give you one last funny story though to end on because I was part of the woodens. You, you, who was your teacher at the academy? I, I was at the Royal Northern. I love oh, the you know, it was Trevor. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, well, right. So uh, what was I going to talk about? It was quite funny, really. Well, when I when Ron Paul came and we, he did the Mozart flute and harp with us, I was in the orchestra, and he said, what are you playing on that antique piece of rubbish? And he played it and he couldn't get a sound on it. He said it was a load of rubbish. I said, well, in a way, they don't work perfectly, but believe me, I mean, I've got it here. I can't play anymore, but I've got a Daniel Paul head joint on. <laughs> You can get a very, very powerful sound. I could drown an orchestra still, not with mine now, but you know, they're very powerful, those old wooden but they're not as good. Sound, your sound is unmistakable, Atara. The life and energy you get into there, it's just fabulous. Well, it was good in its day, yeah. But I mean, it means you can teach it now. So I think we've covered quite a bit of, uh, of the flute world, really. I think the early year, I think it's a miracle to play in an orchestra. It's satisfying. It gives you the opportunity to do some good teaching. I did teach at the Northern, but um, just not me. I, I never liked... You're very, very good at music students because you're as tough as anything. <laughs> I know because a lot of my students used to... You know, you're really tough, conscientious. I, I do it all by flair. I've got to be honest. Uh, you know, I, I, just, I, I just think... It, I don't think the flute's difficult, actually. I think we make it difficult to pass the time, but in comparison with the clarinet, with its, tw you know, the clarinet has something like 20 different fingerings for top G. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, all you do is to teach the clarinet, it'll make you humble with the extra fingering. The flute's not really difficult. The difficulty is to put your soul into it, isn't it, Claire? The difficulty is in communicating something rather than just playing like a, a, a machine. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but then, then again, more competitions you do. Everybody spends all the time communicating without the basic solidarity. Mm. You know, they forget that, you know, first beat of the bar is important. Everybody sort of moves and sways and gets very involved in the passion. And I think intelligence comes first and passion next, personally. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's, it was interesting because, as you know, I did a lot of competitions. I remember going to the, the Geneva competition, which I'd spent <gasps> three months preparing for, many <gasps> months. It's like six rounds all from memory. And, and in the first round, there were over 200. And they picked five to go through out of that <gasps> 200. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get through. And, and I thought I played really well. But I went to listen to the other rounds. And they were sort of 
uh, they were like robots. They just played everything correctly, but yeah. without any, there was no feeling, there was no emotion, there was no communication. And that's, uh, at, that taught me a lot that it's, that there's, there's more to music than just going through the motions. Yes, I agree. Uh, yes, I was thinking about that. I think you're right. Because I listen, I listen to every competition online, every competition. I'm always, I'm still fascinated by the whole approach to flute playing. I find it very different now. I don't like it, but that's just me. I just think people don't obey some of the very basic rules of playing anymore. For me, there's one basic rule. The first beat of the bar is important. For me, if you're going high, you don't have to play louder because you've gone high. Some of these utterly basic, simple rules that a string player would never do. We flute players think we are gods. We think we can go our own way. We can play as we like. Whereas you have to obey some of the basic musical rules, to my mm. mind. Yeah. And we seem to have gone into enjoying ourselves and forgetting, which makes, I find, a lot of modern orchestral playing. I mean, I, I can't believe the flute is part of the woodwind section. It blends with the clarinet and the oboe. It's not its own world. So I'm not very popular, actually. <laughs> I believe in some of these old-fashioned values, and I still will, and I always will. But as a woman, nobody cares, really. Ooh, you heard that one. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> well, I think they, I'm, yeah, I know. I'm not a feminist, really. I was just lucky, really. I mean, that life is luck, isn't it, Claire? Who yeah. you meet, where you meet, what you do. And yeah. it's huge, conscientious work, and it's using every opportunity. It's being lateral thinking as well. It's using your brain, you keeping your body fit and keeping, it's a three part thing. I yeah. mean, playing an instrument is body, mind and soul. You have to keep your mind open by listening to everything and thinking. You have to keep your body fit if you're gonna play the flute mm -hmm. and your soul, you have to look after it. Yeah, and you need mental toughness. Oh God, don't you just, yes, really. Yeah. And that's luck, that's in your DNA, really. Yeah. Yep. That's the good schooling, good education helps, good genes, good parents, good values. It's, it's, a, it's a huge business. The, playing the flute as an amateur is the most miraculous joy. I specialize in adult amateurs and they're amazing. You know, we did yesterday with two adult amateurs that I started. We did the uh, Doppler Concerto for two flutes. Not often done. Do you know it? Yes. It's really tricky. And they were so excited because after six sessions, they could do it. And that's wonderful. But to be a professional musician, flute player, is a very, very tricky world, I think. Don't you, Claire? It is a very, very, very tricky world. Listen, Atara, we've, we've talked about lots of things. I think we will sort of end our discussion here today. But we're going to talk again on our next podcast because I want to talk to you about all your educational work. No, I'd love to. Yes, I care about them a lot really inspiring a uh, whole generation of children with the Tara's band and your awards and, and all the things you've done since those just early luck. days. No, just luck. <laughs> it's luck. <laughs> the moment, many, many thanks and we'll My chat joy. again. Okay, that was fun. Thank you. I enjoyed that, Claire. I hope I wasn't over the top, which I normally am told off for being. <laughs> you were. You, you, were, you were wonderful. Thanks, Tara. Thank you. Thank you. That was the ever-youthful, insightful and intuitive Atara Bentoven. Join us again in two weeks' time for part two of my chat with Atara, talking about the second stage of her career and her invaluable contribution to music education. Until then, goodbye.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.